This is The LPB Show, a weekly discussion from the world of photography and photo books. Here is your host, Brian Formals. You're listening to The LPB Show. We're back in Bushwick. I'm with Tom. I'm always with Tom, it feels like. Stockholm Studios. Stockholm Studios. And we are uh, bringing you the next episode. We're on episode 10, right? We've put away quite a few here. Yeah, so in today, today's guest is uh, Russell Letterman and her husband, Jeff Gutterman. And they're avid photo book collectors. And today we're going to be talking about Japanese photo books. Which uh, we met, we, we brought them, we had a dinner party back with uh, Mateo and Olia in Long Island City. And we recorded this back in December. Uh, December, yeah. And I mean, we, they, they brought over some, some stellar photo books. Yeah. I mean, we got a chance to see Ravens for a lot. I was blown away. Yeah, and I think you'll be able to check out those spreads and, and hear some very interesting insights on that. And uh, yeah, it was, I mean, it's kind of a dream come true for this podcast to get one of the most, <laughs> you know, well-known, highly regarded photo books on the show in the first, in the season. Yeah, I think you were very excited about it too. I hope it comes through. I hope <laughs> you guys like it too. But on an interesting note too, and since we're talking about Japanese photo, I read this article today in, uh, on Time, Time Lightbox, um, about a book Martin Parr is co-authoring about uh, modern Chinese photo books. Huh. Which is something you often, you know, we hear a lot about Japanese photo but obviously China has a huge, you know, has a huge tradition of sure. photography and photo books. So this will, this will be another one of those books uh, along the lines of the history of the photo book that gives you kind of like an overview of all the great books. Um, and there's actually a, uh, exhibition at Aperture too because Aperture is publishing the book. It's open now? Yes. Yeah, it's it's the the opening is tonight and yeah, it's I'm definitely going to go out and check that out. Aperture's publishing the book. Um the you know, they're going to have the exhibition where you can check it out and that's going to be awesome. But today in today's episode we're talking about Japanese photo books with right. Russet and Jeff. So I hope you enjoy. I mean, I know I know a little bit about Japanese photo books, but I don't, you know, there's only so much you can kind of like ab absorb through the internet, and especially with, you know, Japanese photo books are, you know, most of that's happening in Japan. So what you kind of get through to the United States is going to be filtered. So Russet, how did 10 by 10 come about? Um, actually, it came about not far from here. Because uh -huh. uh, in 2012, Olga was doing a lot of meetups, and it was a really hot, sweaty summer. <laughs> and there happens to be a Japanese cafe about four blocks from here, uh -huh. right off Queensborough Plaza. And she's like, okay, let's do a meetup. You and Jeff can bring some Japanese photo books, and we can, we can talk. And I said, really? It's the middle of the summer. Who's going to show up at a meetup in the middle of the hot uh -huh. summer? But hey, there were a lot of people, and... It was... Turned out to be a nerd fest. It turned out to be a complete nerd <laughs> yeah, fest. Yeah, Yay! Yeah. A lot of people yeah. showed up. And uh, we were in this you know, Japanese cafe, and Olga had set up a whole bunch of tables, and we spread out all the books, and we just started sharing stuff from our collection. Yeah. Everything from uh, the Nezraeli re reprint of Kawada's Chizu, Right, and some Hosoe books. Oh, we brought actually Barakai Shinshubai which was the big Hosoe book, uh, Killed by Roses, but uh -huh. the one that was designed by Tadanori Yoko, where it just like opens up into this incredible design. And we just spread it out all over the tables. And we brought uh, also some obscure books, like the um, Narahara Grand Tarde, Espanol Grand, Grand Tarde. Tarde. Yes, the bullfighting book. 
And yeah. um, it was just great. And I mean, everyone, we just, it like flowed. I mean, we so were you, there for a long time. We didn't leave for a while. And we just like, wow, this is really great. We should do this again. Like, no one knows about well, this. Well, we didn't want to leave. It was about 100 degrees outside. Yeah. So it was better to just Was it air conditioning Yes, it was air conditioning. Yeah, that's why we all stayed. Maybe so no you kind of <laughs> you, you kind of picked up on the energy and you felt there was something, something to this. We totally picked up on the energy. Olga and I, as we were leaving, said, you know, we need to kind of get this out there to other people. Right. And we knew that the New York Art Book Fair was coming up pretty quickly. We didn't know how, what. I was writing articles for the blog for the International Center of Photography's uh -huh, uh -huh. library. And I thought, okay, there's got to be something. You know, they've got a space right next to PS1. Okay. Let's, let's talk and see what's happening. So Olga and I sat down with uh, Naylan Blake, who runs the uh -huh, MFA uh -huh. BARD program at ICP, and Matthew Carson, who is the librarian at ICP. Yep. And we said, okay, we had this, you know, nerd fest with Japanese photo books. It was a lot of fun. And can we do something? I mean, what are you guys doing with the space right. that's a block away from PS1? Can we set something up there? And they were like, yeah, sure, no problem. Here, take the space. So it was nine weeks away, and Olga and I just basically contacted every friend we possibly had <laughs> all over Japan and the U.S., and we came up with a concept that we'd contact 10 people for a reading room and 10 people for an online space. We'd ask them each to recommend 10 books, uh -huh. and for the online people, we'd do it virtually, and we'd do it through their blogs, and for the reading room people, we'd actually get them to send us the books within nine weeks to New York. Wow. And that's what we did. <laughs> and amazingly, all the books came in, and it was really successful. Yeah, yeah, I remember stopping by it. So when did, at what point did you figure you wanted to make it into a publication? Oh my God, that came, you know, it, this was not planned, any uh -huh. of it. I think, you know, it just really organically, you know, one thing led to another. The New Yorker did a write-up of the reading, reading room. Uh -huh. And then people actually, I think the guy from uh, Tokyo Institute of Photography came to us and said, hey, why don't you bring this Japanese reading room to Tokyo? We have uh -huh. a space, we'll do it. And Olga, Matthew, and I, at this point, the three of the Three of us decided we were did, an entity. We did were they 10 by find 10. out about that from the event in yeah, the Long yeah. Island City? Because somebody, Fat Photo, sent a photographer. Well, no. Olga right? had been they in were... contact with the folks from Fat Photo. And they oh, gave okay. us magazines because we had all kinds. We had IMA magazine and Fat Photo. Right. We had all the magazines besides. But then they had photos from the event. In yeah. The, in the, yeah. And they the sent a photographer issue. to photograph the event. And so. Um, Ihiro, who is the director of the gallery, of Fat, uh, who's director of Fat Photo and also runs a gallery at Tokyo Institute um, of Photography, said, hey, bring the Japanese photo book reading room to Tokyo. And Olga, Matthew, and I just kept saying, no, there's something really wrong about that. Uh -huh. You know, for a bunch of, like, for a Belarus woman, a British guy, and an American woman, <laughs> right. to, to tell the Japanese audience what they should be looking at in right. a Japanese book, that's just wrong. So right. we said, nope, we're not doing that, but we'll bring you American books. So we oh, saw yeah, it yeah. as the kind of cross-pollination of this conversation between the two. And so we did the same thing where we just reached out to, you know, 10 experts for a reading room and 10 experts for an online space. And we said, recommend 10 books. Mm -hmm. And there we knew we were doing a publication. Right. And right. so we did the publication and we printed it in, um, in Iceland. We brought in Victor and Shuri, who are associated with ICP, uh -huh. to design, who do Book Dummy Press, uh -huh. to design it. And so it became a whole big 
deal. Nice. Not man. planning, though. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's, like, well, that's the interesting thing, too, is the internet kind of, I feel, breeds that sort of spontaneity. And, like, it's interesting that it developed out of a meetup and something like that, where I remember a couple years ago writing stuff on Twitter, something about getting meetups going, because one of my, what I'm really interested in, in terms of photo books, is when you meet people and they bring you something from their collection. Mm -hmm. You know, that is really, to me, the way to, to engage with, with photo books. You can read all the stuff online and see everything that's getting hyped about, but when somebody who has a, their personal collection that they've cultivated and built over the years, and they, if, especially if they know you a little bit, like, here's the book you have to see, right. you know? Well, it doesn't a, matter if it was published this year, That happens years all ago, the time. Know? That's right. just yeah. sharing between people who have common interests. Right, right, right. I mean, the other day, my neighbor, who's also um, coincidentally part of 10 by 10 and has helped us on various projects and helped us edit the Japanese book, um, said to me, you know, an email, oh, I just discovered a new publisher, Ivory, and they do this great book by Katrine de Blauer. Did you see it? Uh -huh. I said, no. He said, oh, I'll leave it downstairs for you. Take a look at it. <laughs> Dropped it off. I'm like, oh, this is really yeah. cool. Great. Send an email to the publisher, and she's like, oh, actually, you bought our first book, but you didn't know it. Oh, wow. And it's like, <laughs> we're the publisher of the Antoine Dangata Positions book. I'm like, oh, really? Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's always that kind of sharing of people just saying, hey, look, like Olga, when I walked in today, uh -huh. just handed me a book from you know a Brazilian photo book maker right. and said, oh, take a look at this. He lives with a whole bunch of dogs and cats and photographs them. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, yeah, that's, that's kind of just, I mean, the internet is where I... That's one of the best things I love about it is sharing, getting information. Other that's kind of I think that's how I built my, you know, reputation on doing that. And so to try to bring it into the real world is kind of the goal of this podcast, you know. And then obviously talk to people that know what they're talking about because again, Japanese photo books, you know, it's one thing I'm really curious about is what is it with Japanese photography and Japanese photo? I mean, why aren't we? Why aren't we sitting here talking about like, you know, Brazilian photo books? I'm sure we could, but there seems to be something about Japanese photo culture and photo books that really, on the American side, seems to capture our attention. You think it's just because they have that rich history or they push the limits or they're on the, you know, what, what is that thing that kind of makes? I think they have, they have the rich history, but so much of it was totally unknown mm -hmm. to us for years and years. And it's really taken several decades for us to catch up with what's going on there. And, and it's almost like, you know, there was this incubation of all these ideas going on there, and, and in some cases were similar, or they were feeding off, you know, Western people, like, right. like Klein, yeah. and that's why we brought the Tokyo book right, by right. William Klein, and just that there was this cross-pollination, some of it was, you know, totally unknown to each other, like the Moriyama show that was in uh, London, which was Klein and Moriyama. Right, right. And, you know, Moriyama had at some point said, oh, yes, Klein is a big influence on me. Mm -hmm. So when they did that show, they thought they could bring them both together and say, wow, look at this two photographers from these totally different worlds, right, but right. there's a lot of similarities going right. on. Right. And they have, I mean, from, I have a couple friends, Dan Abbey, who was a friend of mine, he lived in Japan for a while, and it's really... From what I understand, I mean, you have a really thriving amateur photography mm. community too, where you have the photographers running their own galleries and right. like the the amateur is highly respected there. And it's you know it's kind of sometimes I see a lot of photography there that you might not doesn't get it a lot of attention here. It's kind of still 
they value the person who goes out on the walk and kind of goes out into the world mm -hmm. and it gets lost. Um, well, there's still a lot of self-publishing going on there. Right. Because it's just a tradition. And there's some really fantastic photographers that did almost all their books on their own. Um, Suzuki. Suzuki is Kiyoshi the one that I'm Suzuki thinking of. Suzuki is the main one who um, self-published all his books. He made about eight, nine books. And he's super well-known there and virtually unknown in the West, in the except West. for, you know, small number of people that, that have followed him or found out about him. But uh, most of his work was done on his own and, you know, really hard to find at this yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of why we get into these books on books. You know, you have the, the Par Badger series, which, you know, is, I just I got volume three was the first one that I've gotten. Man, a lot of stuff, you know. So is, is there, do you see, that this is kind of like a necessary evolution of distributing sharing photo that we need to have these collections that come together like this. Like even the book that I just did, Photographer Sketchbooks, we're trying to bring together, you know, that anthology or the, the group of photographers. I think people have always collected photo mm -hmm. books. And I think that, you know, there have always been these massive libraries of, of photo books in right. universities and institutions. I think what's happening now is there, I was ta actually talking with another collector of photo books and who has a strong interest in Asian photography as well, a guy named Dave Solo um, the other night. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And there seem to be two kind of collecting audiences going on now. There is a younger audience who, who never kind of really had a very strong affinity to books before, kind of a digital native audience who's getting totally into books. And what they're doing is they're buying books by their peers younger photographers who, who are coming out with books very quickly, small editions that get an incredible buzz, everyone buys them and they get sold out. Right. And then there's kind of the old timer collector who's going to the antiquarian book fairs, who's buying on eight books, who's kind of looking at the historical books. Mm -hmm. And obviously it tends to be a little bit older audience because they've got a little bit more, more money, expensive yeah. and more yeah. money to buy these books. Yeah. But so you've got these kind of parallel book collecting universes going on right now. And with the Japanese book, kind of coming back to your question, Japanese books, I, I can count on my hand the people in New York who collect them. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Maybe there are five, if we're lucky. Uh -huh. um, and when I say collect them, collect them in depth. But if you go to Europe, if you go to France, you go to Germany, that audience is about 12 times bigger. Mm -hmm. And there's a much larger collecting audience. There's a, I'm, I'm almost convinced that there's a renewed Japonism that's happening <laughs> in France right now uh -huh. because there are so many collectors of Japanese photo books in France at this mm -hmm. moment right, in time. Right, right. So far outnumbers New York. Um, and I think that New York kind of was late to the game in learning about the Japanese photo books. Of course, Photo books are the prime vehicle for Japanese photographers to distribute their work. They never had a gallery system as we had in the West until very recently. So the only way for a photographer to get their work out there was to make a book. Plus you have a whole history of a bookmaking tradition. So those two combined made for these incredible photo books. Right, right. And the dealer, Andrew Roth in New York, who runs PPP Editions, and most recently had a show with Miyaku Ishiuchi, who just won the Hasselblad Award, mm -hmm is probably the person who needs to be credited in New York with first getting the Japanese photo books on the kind of horizon line even for right. the, the New York 
It's the first time I saw a lot of those books. Yeah, American Collecting Public. No. I mean, Jeff walked into Andrew's gallery, I'd say in 2001 it was. He was having a Moriyama, Provoke, kind of post-war Japanese photographer photo book exhibition. And Andrew basically pulled out Moriyama's first book, um, Japan Photo Theater, wow. and said, you got to see this. Wow. And... Jeff took a you look gotta at see it. this, and then you have to take it home. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, if you're talking about these two, who do you think with the ten by ten? Do you think you were reaching both those audiences—the younger generation who's kind of like just coming to it—and the older collectors? Did you kind of think about a target audience in terms of that, or you just wanted we wanted to get you know a nice wide swath of books? For us, it's always the mix. And that's one of the things that I think is really critical in 10 by 10 mm -hmm. is that it's, it's a, first of all, it's not a profitable entity. I mean, we're fortunate in that we cover our costs and uh -huh. then we throw whatever extra money comes in into the next project. Right. No one gets paid. We all have, you know, day jobs where we <laughs> work elsewhere. And the goal with it is really just to kind of get communities together. Uh -huh. In, in the case of the 10 by 10 Japanese and 10 by 10 American, it was to cross-pollinate. You know, bring the Japanese books to the American communities, the younger and the older. And so by asking certain experts, we had zine-like books, but we also had uh, Kanemura spiders uh -huh. or, you know, uh, Miyaku Ishiuchi's 1947. We had very expensive books. I mean, we try to kind of put a leveling on things, but, uh -huh. you know, when I say expensive, to five hundred dollars, and then we had really cheap zine-like books that cost five dollars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's it is the spectrum, it is the range, it is you know it's not this kind of elitist like only the people who can collect the three thousand dollar books that are in clamshell cases that right. no one ever touches and no one ever looks at and they never see the light of day. <laughs> right, right. I mean these are books to be touched. They get yeah. every library that we put together gets donated to a public institution after it's put together. We don't keep it in our apartments. Uh -huh. We put it together, we donate it to ICP. We to donate it to the Tokyo Metropolitan Museum of Photography in the case of the American books because we want it out there right, to be right. continue to get out right, there. Right, right. So. Yeah, I I've always, there's a, I don't know, maybe this is, here are those collectors who will buy two copies of each book, one for the shelf that never gets touched, stays in, and then the one that they can actually use and abuse and like, look at, you know, I have a lot of my friends who are photo book collectors, that's kind of their one, the hardcore ones that kind of get upset, it's like, you, they buy these books and they just stay on the shelf and nobody looks at them, how can you learn mm -hmm. from them, you know? So there's, you know, and then there's other people that'll take something that's incredibly rare and treat it like it's, you know, any other book, so it's, it's, it's an interesting dichotomy, you know, you know, whether you're going to use it just for as an investment or as something that you're going to try to you know, engage with and look at. Right. You know. Unfortunately, I, I'm only in the one category of, you know, if I get them, I look at them and use them. And I'm from the category that buys my friend's books. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Exactly. I mean, yeah. and, and all, all are part of the process. All are part right. of the community. And I think, you know, when you ask me about 10 by 10, that is, we're saying, hey, you know, the person who's buying their friend's book and the person out there is also putting the book in a clamshell case in a dark room with you know that second copy that they actually can touch. That's, yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It's about you know and everything in between because right now I mean if you go to the New York Art Book Fair which we all go to, it's amazing. I mean there's this oh, booming yeah. audience that's there that's just you know eating up books. 
And Olga knows everyone at, at the book fair, right? Yeah. Everyone involved with Yeah, Olga. and that and that yeah. is what 10 by 10 serves. Yeah. It's yeah. kind of larger. And in that New York Art Book Fair, you're going to find everyone from, you know, the Phil Ahrens, who's the head of Printed Matter, uh-huh. to, you know, that person who's just stumbled upon because someone said, hey, it's cool, and, you know, why don't you come by? And they're buying a $5 zine. Right, right. So, and that's what 10 by 10 speaks to. And I think, you know, in our personal collection, we cover a lot of territory, but admittedly, we do have a very specific focus with the Japanese books. We also have, you know, European books. Right. I mean, Jeff is responsible really for kind of starting it, and I just got sucked <laughs> in because all, all these books were sitting around and the bookcases got filled, yeah. and they were sitting on the tables, and I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Yeah. Look at that. And it was just like, and he's the person who remembers all the facts and the dates yeah. and everything, which I forget completely. <laughs> so when, <laughs> how did you get started collecting photo books? What was your kind of... I actually started collecting prints. Uh-huh. And, you know, Bauhaus-type things, you know, between-the-war things, more, you know, I'd say abstract and uh, things like that, or even um, for a while I was collecting uh, graphic design uh-huh, type uh-huh. things that were, that were books, like there's a whole uh, uh, movement of the Czech modernist uh-huh. books from 20s and 30s that are designed really amazingly and have incredible covers, and uh, you know, for a while you could get them fairly cheaply, and so you know, I bought a bunch of those, and that led to you know, the photographers of that era, right. which then got into the, the German era of between the war type stuff. And then, you know, at some point, you just don't have room to hang, <laughs> hang <laughs> photos. Yeah. And, you know, you're looking at books from the from similar uh, people that had designed mm-hmm. uh, covers, like in uh, the Czech, uh, Stierski did uh, some amazing covers for books, but then also did photography. So I started looking at those books and, you know, gradually collecting, you know, some Americans, uh, like street photography, uh-huh. you know, Friedlander and Winter Grand and, and those kinds of people. And uh, that at some point led me to that show at Andrew Roth's where, you know, he was showing the, the Provoke books. Oh, okay. And it was really one of the first times that somebody considered the book on the same level as the prints that were on the wall. Right, right. And he had them all in cases, and prints from the books were on the wall, and then there were the books all around the room. And uh, What year was that? It was around 2000. 2000, okay. And Tom, Tom's testing you on the... the yeah, back no, no, he's, yeah, he's, he's good with the dates. I cannot remember dates so that's two, me. So it's the last, last 15 years that it's really kind of accelerated for you then, huh? Well, I think it peaked at a certain point. Yeah. Around 2006, 2007, the, well, the interest kind of, and the prices peaked also. Uh, there was the a prices real, were going, going nuts, nuts, really, because there were people out there, there were some serious people collecting these things, like you, exactly what you're saying. You know, one for me to hold on and look at, right. and one for me to put up on the shelf in a case that I'm yeah, never, never going to open it. You right. Know? And then in around 2007, 2008, a lot of those books came up for auction. Okay. You know, Christie's did this auction in New York, and it was basically from one collector. And the 
that was just, that, that was really the, the peak, the peak of the market just was insane at that point. So do you have like a list of books that you're on, always on the lookout for? I mean, we I think have, we have a, a list thing. of books that we own, actually. Yeah. He keeps it on his phone. Well, I think that's, <laughs> I'm just, so that we know when we see something, like, do we have it okay? <laughs> there are, there I guess, are some yeah. books that, I, that I'm looking for that, you know, I've seen come up or someone offers me that are just way too expensive, and I have to say, all right, well, we'll wait. We'll wait, right. But the thing with the Japanese is that some of the editions are so small. <gasps> right. 300, 500 copies. Right. And, you know... Another issue that you have in Japan is that the weather and the humidity <laughs> kills oh. kills books. Molding, and, and if molding, they're not boxing. kept well, yeah. they just you know are you know foxed and they smell bad. Oh, wow! And so whatever's printed, there's probably a lot fewer that are still oh, that's viable. So if it's available, it's been taken care of. Yeah. Really well. Not necessarily. Mm. Not necessarily. You have to really. Be able to look, or you know, have somebody that can look for you that you trust. Yeah. To say, oh, this is really good, or. But know. it's a small, yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of photographers, probably young photographers, that would want to know, ask a like, what do you look for? I mean, if you're buying a new, a younger photographer, something that just come comes on, is it going to be based on you know the buzz? Is it like Christine, no. Christine Demet? I mean, are you you're digging in and thinking? No. Do you take no. chances on I mean, you take chances on Absolutely, all the time. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we go with what we like visually. I mean, certainly with the historical material, there are holes that we try to fill historically. Right. But if we're, I mean, for example, earlier in this conversation, I mentioned that, you know, Michael dropped off the Katrine de Blauer book. I knew nothing about her. Uh-huh. No buzz about the book. Just a really beautiful, interesting book. It was montages uh, mixed with Antonioni text. It was nice. I ordered yeah. it. I mean, that's, you know, I'll go to a book fair and I'll see something and go, wow, that's really great. I really yeah. like that. Um, the books are for us to look at. The books are for, you know, I go back to them in writing and research mm-hmm. and I'll pull stuff out of the shelves and just, like right now I'm working on an article that is looking at Westerners' views of Tokyo. Uh-huh. So I had pulled out The Klein as a result of that. And I had pulled out a Bruce Gilden book called Go. And so, and I actually pulled out Tamara and Yoshi's books, oh, wow. Sumi Masen, yeah, yeah, yeah. to look at. Because, but we have all the books, so I will look at them, and there are references, and they're not these kind of precious things that are just wrapped up in yeah. clamshell. Okay. Yeah, sure, they're in a room that's, that doesn't get a lot of light, because yeah, we had I mean, the experience of seeing a book with the binding sunned from, you know, the sun beating down oh. on it, and it's like, whoa, that book got really damaged. But there's to be handled. Yeah, you know what? Like, I think that would be an awesome. Somebody should do that blog of just exactly how to preserve books and collect and do all. Like, I think people would be all over that. I mean, there's Collector Daily, Loring. Like he, I mean, he's got. Mm-hmm. I think he's got a pretty fabulous site. Where he, I mean, Olga's writing for them now, and he's. It almost feels like he's the only one of the few voices of collectors kind of out there, like putting stuff. At least that I've seen, but maybe. But I, I'd be totally into that. <laughs> I guess he's out there how to preserve your books and, and go. I also thought it'd be cool to go to visit different people's collections and have somebody do like a nice, nice photographs of the mm-hmm. collection and have them 
put them put the, their ten on and do that. Something where you just go because <laughs> you don't know. There's got to be so many weird collections in New oh, York there City. Are so of many weird. Oh yeah, and I everyone's mean, got their own little point of view. It's a TV show, man. Somebody's got to do that. <laughs> it's know? a reality TV it show. It is. Photo book Yeah, you go in next to these weird. Find the weirdest <laughs> photo book collectors you can in New York City. You know, and do the same thing. You know, go and have dinner and then explore their. Collections, They're humidity controlled rooms. Humidity, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. No, seriously, yeah, there yeah. are the people who have like these clamshell cases around every book, and it's really they're really meticulous, and you know, and also talking to people how they organize their photo books. Yeah, some people like organize them just straight alphabetical all the way through. Other people have kind of themes or territories. Yeah. Like we've got the European and the Americans in the bedroom. <laughs> we've got the Japanese in the office, yeah. and then we've got the reference books. All the Stashed way. away. Stashed away. Well, it is, but that is so cool because, you know, something I often think about with photography is a lot of it is about organization, editing, organizing, finding your themes in your own work, in the photo mm -hmm. books. It's, it's something about maybe photographers that have that part analytical brain that's mathematical or, or well, organizational or technical. I don't know. It's that impulse you see a lot to, to organize and, and collect things, you know. They often say like a photographer is a collector, kind of a collector of images. Well, yeah, a book is a collection of images. Yeah, yeah. And, and the key thing with a book is, you know, what is that sequence? How, what is the totality? I mean, yes, you're looking at individual images, but you're also thinking, you know, how does it flow all together? What's the narrative right. or the multiple narratives that are being created when you look at this book? And does the design fit the narrative structure? I mean, it is really the totality that makes for a successful photo book. So you could have really a recipe book, but if all those pieces don't kind of sit well as a whole, it doesn't matter. Well, I think I think we're going to take a quick break here, and then we're gonna we're gonna take what you just said, Russ, and apply it to probably one of the perhaps one of the greatest photo books that's ever been published. So we'll be right back in a second. Raven, and it is a book from 1986 that um, Sean O'Hagan cited in the Guardian in 2010. Um, basically, signed a, a British Journal of Photography panel of experts who said that this is the most um, kind of important book, in their opinion, of the last 25 years. Right. So um, Jeff picked up the book. I don't, it, I'm gonna let I don't you know. Tell. I think mid mid two thousands sometime from a dealer uh, dealer in the states who had a lot of Japanese work, and uh, you know, of course, I had read about it, and but I'd never really seen it because it's hard to hard find, to find anybody yeah. <laughs> that has it. So, but actually, now there are there's one or there there, there are three reprints. Three, oh, there was an American. There was Bedford Press, I believe, was yeah, one. There was an American one that came out as a soft cover, and then. Uh, Rathole did a reprint as really, well. Yes, just recently, a couple years ago. But you have the first edition. This is 1986 yes, this first is edition. The wow. So that is in such amazing condition. It is, it is 
It looks brand new. It looks brand new. Well, I guess, you know, if you go to people that you trust are going to tell you the truth about the condition that they have them in, and someone that I was dealing with for quite a while, so if he says it was in good condition, I believed him, and it is. But, I mean, this book is pretty amazing. It's a quiet book. It's not a book, you know, like some of the other books we brought today, like the Klein book, that right. has much more, you know, kind of assertive or aggressive imagery. Primarily, the images, a lot of them are of birds, of ravens, that are shot from either the train window, in some cases it looks like, or him getting off the train. Fukase had been married for 13 years to a woman named Yoko, and their marriage was breaking up. And she was pretty much the primary subject of most of his earlier of a books. a lot of his work, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, here was kind of his muse, his wife. The marriage was going down the tubes. And Fukase comes, came from Hokkaido. So he decided to take a train trip back up to kind of his homeland, to Hokkaido. And along the way, he photographed um, a lot of the ravens. And the ravens, or crows, have a pretty ominous symbolism in Japanese culture. So I guess this was his way of kind of dealing with this very tragic, kind of ominous event in his personal life. Yeah, I mean, it's very dark. It's very yeah. dark. He's very depressed. <laughs> and he's just taking these very dark, grainy, ominous-looking right. photos, of the, mostly of the birds, you know. But it's really the other images that kind of mix it in. Like, yes. there's the one in the past. I mean, that's... I think way how you get deceived online is you see those same ten pictures right. of the ravens, and like when I look through it, I'm like, this is, this now I get it. I can see the sequence and the flow and just yeah, how it's it not all just works the birds. Together. It's not just the birds. It's, it's not, the ocean. Yeah, it's it's girls with their hair flying up yeah. in the you know in a blurred kind of back shot, a boat on horizon line. Right. It it really well. It's actually the first part is is very dark and depressing, and then as you move on, you see. You know, a he's glimmer taking of hope, maybe. a glimmer of hope. The winter's over. You know, right. people are outside. They don't have uh, big heavy coats on. And what's and interesting and is that I feel after I looked at that, all of a sudden, a bunch of other books that I really like, I was like, oh, somebody's seen this. I don't know. It just feels the way the lyrical kind of uh, narrative and sequencing. It just feels very. I don't know. It's been like, you, like, like it's been referenced. Like there's a lot of, you know, it's. You can definitely tell the influence, I think. Yeah. You know? I mean, well, this image, like here, is of this masseuse, a nude image of this masseuse that he saw when he was taking uh -huh. the road trip. I mean, it's just, it's a real mixture of these kind of very abstracted, you know, you barely know what you're seeing in them, you know, to, to very specific landscape images mm -hmm. of northern Japan, of Hokkaido. And, um, but I wonder how did it build, I mean, you know, when I first started getting into photography, like that was still one of maybe seven or eight years ago was one of the first books people would reference. Like mm -hmm. you got to see this book. So I'm just curious how the legend of it kind of evolved over time and became. You know, how does it? How does it? How does a book become well, the most influential book at 25? How does that happen? And one was so dark too. Yeah, yeah, one that's so, so, so it's dark. really depressing. Yeah, too. it's yeah. not. You wouldn't say. It's a, you could hear, you definitely could hear with some chump who would look at it and like, this isn't good photography. Right, of course. Like you would hear that kind of sure. comment, you know, this technically isn't good photography. And, you know, but it is. 
it's great photography, yeah. you know? But you can say that about a lot of, most Japanese photography. This is technically not good photography. Right. I mean, you know, the whole aesthetic of the blur, of the, the out of focus, of the high contrast, mm -hmm. is not what Westerners perceive of as good photography, which right. is why I think, when you're coming back to your earlier question, you know, what is this gravitation towards Japanese photography? Why are we interested in it? Mm -hmm. Because, yes, on one level, it's like, whoa, we were told not to do that. And look, they're doing it. And it yeah. looks really great. It, it's kind of pushing the boundaries of what, you know, all the lessons of photography in art schools have been. Right, right. Yeah, but not everybody said it was great. <laughs> because when Moriyama's Bye-Bye uh, Photography came out, in the in the, the reviews in the states were yeah. like, were horrific, yeah. What's oh, yeah. this? You know, it's blurred, it's out of focus. There are scratches. You know, this is you know Garbage. not not Ansel Adams. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. I mean, I still definitely I know there's I've read a few things. People don't like Moriyama at all. Well, the problem with Moriyama is that he's just so copy. I mean, most any younger street photographer is kind of into that gritty you know type of photography. You know, they're going to copy. Moriyama. I mean, it's one of those, it's the, you know. Well, they're going to copy it, but if they're, they're any good, they're going to take it further. Yeah. And I mean, I think, you know, people, for example, someone like Morden Anderson, people uh -huh. will say like, you know, the kind of early street photography that he did was very influenced by Moriyama. But he comes from Oslo, from Norway. He has a totally different kind of Scandinavian aesthetic. Mm -hmm. So that might be his starting point. But yeah. he's taken it in a totally different place. Yeah. So, I mean, I think any photographer is any good, you know, certainly, ref, you know, acknowledges their references, mm -hmm. but then moves beyond them and integrates yeah. them into a new voice. Yeah, I, w I mean, I'm always drawn to kind of narrative. And I think you can just feel that narrative pull in here. He started from a place where he, he felt it and he didn't necessarily know where it was going to go, you know. And that's, it's that investigative part of it that you feel him Searching, mm. figuring it out, finding what, what, where that depression or that pain is or what it is and trying to put it into pictures. Mm -hmm. And, and that's visualize just, it. And it's, it's such a, with, you know, I know if it's a, you get that impulse and say you have to follow it, you know. And I think the, always the best photographer to jump on it right away. And you don't even know, you don't know where it's going to go. No, and I also think, though, there's a mythology around Fukase because mm. certainly, you know, after this book, he, he kind of had these fits of depression of extreme highs and lows and drank himself into, you know, total oblivion where he uh -huh. fell down the stairs in oh, one of yeah. the golden guy uh, drinking establishments. Yeah. And that put him into a coma for years and years until he died two years ago. Right. You know, or a year and a half ago. And so there's this whole kind of larger than life mythology. Mythology, yeah. yeah. Well, so that's that only adds to the whole darkness of the book as well. So yes, it's a great book, but there's a great story too that goes with it. Yeah, but that's interesting. I know I talk about personal mythology a lot with people mm -hmm. and how that photography is such a biogra autobiographical kind of medium for some people. And yeah, I, I wonder if, you know, is it the personality sometimes that's more important than the photos or is it, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's because I there's even... Point. I don't know. I think probably the fact that he was in this coma and, you know, he had this body of work up to this uh -huh. point, to, you know, 1990 or so, and then that was it. And so that made this work, you know, all the more important because mm -hmm. there wasn't too much after it. Right. Well, there, and there were books before that were very kind of poetic, actually. I mean, they, they had a certain kind of um, slightly morose, 
quality like father or family. I mean, they were they were books that he had done where he you know photographed his father basically. You know, it ends with this, if I remember correctly, his father's tombstone. And, I mean, they're very poignant books. Mm. I mean, there's a very strong emotive connection in, I think, Foucault's work. And so we feel it. It's palpable as we go yeah. through. Do you have his, do you, have, you own any of his earlier books? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Cool. So speaking of other big personalities, I mean, yeah. the other one here is William Klein, Tokyo. I mean, if there is, I mean... Right, we wanted to bring something that was, that was <laughs> a little bit opposite, yeah. You know, Japanese in subject matter, yeah. but from the Western perspective. Yeah. No, Klein, obviously, Klein, I've been, you know, me and Tom come from street photography background. William Klein is one of the first five people you that hear you about, of, right? You sure. think of and you want to know about. And yeah, but we brought that book just because we felt that, you know, here's a Westerner looking at Japanese culture, Japanese society. Mm -hmm. And this is, Klein did a whole series of city books, New York being the most famous, and the first one in 1956, right. um, published in France before it was actually published in, the, in New York. And it was, you know, certainly kind of, I don't know, was it well received when it was published in New York? Probably not, because people thought well, no, he was he attacking the he city couldn't that get he came a, from. Right, right, right. He couldn't get an American publisher. Yeah. 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 They thought it was too aggressive, yeah. it was too hostile. Um, you know, there's the, the kind of common refrain that, you know, Klein wielded his camera like a gun. Right. You know, this was his kind of native city, yet he really didn't grow up in New York. He grew up in France mm. and came back to shoot it, kind of to figure out what his connection to his original New York roots are. And, and then he's, he's kind of shooting it from this real outsider yet insider yeah. dual position. And in Tokyo, what's interesting is he's clearly an outsider. This book is from 1964. Mm -hmm. um, what I find so interesting about it is it captures Japan, you know, definitely from this kind of outsider Western perspective. But you're seeing Japan at this kind of period of transition where it's really taken on and tried to embrace a lot of Western kind of um, routines and visual, you know, culture sensibilities. You see a woman in a hairdresser getting a beehive hairdo or getting her hair kind of teased up. Right. It's right before the Olympics are about to happen in Japan. So there's this idea of Japan looking like, gee, you know, we're Western. We get it. We've kind of survived World War II. We've come, you know, from this trauma. Yet you still feel the trauma. You still feel that there's, you know, it's a culture that's kind of moving forward, but it's also, you know, clearly kind of got holes and rips. Yeah, you, might be you just getting, have to scratch the surface on. Yeah, you might be getting too smart for our audience. I think they might just want to, they'll look at the pictures and want to see the cool pictures. Yeah, well, they're really cool yeah. pictures. They're really, I mean, the graphic design of this book is <laughs> yeah. so good. Yeah, exactly. And that's what like makes it the best book on the entire world because you open it up and you've got these full yeah. bleed kind of really, you know, intense gravure black and white images and then you've got these layered kind of gridded images and he just plays with the design. Right. So you've got cool pictures, great design, and it's and large scale. And he likes getting right up in your face. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, uh, no, I, I mean, I joke about that too, but I'm a hit, you know, I love history and I love, I love city. I love that, it, that it's not necessarily just about art. There is the historical, there is the cultural commentary, there is, it's not just, it's not just art, you know? And I think that's what this type of photography keeps 
I don't know, it keeps it grounded in something something else, you know, where it's part of history. It's telling you about a place. Yeah, what it's it was telling like you about a place. You know. Yeah, it's, it's capturing a place, yeah. but it's not capturing it in that kind of, you know, objective documentary style. It's right. catching it with a real subjective point of view. I mean, you feel Klein when you're looking at these photographs. You feel that he's the one kind of saying, whoa, isn't that a cool image? You've got yeah. the grandmother in kimono, and you've got the young girl in the western, you know, dress and skirt. You know, what's going on there? You know, how, how is this reflective of Japan? What is, you know, what is the, you've got, he's, he's photographing festivals in here, full bleed pages of just the heads, you know, one right after another, really intense. Yeah, I mean, his variety of compositional approaches and using the different lenses, the long lenses, the wide angle lenses, he's, yeah, he's definitely. Yeah, I mean, I he's mean, got he, guys in pachinko parlor playing, you know, <laughs> you know, and at the same time, he, he does a whole sequence of you know one of the more conceptual performance artists you know abstract painters mm-hmm. painting you know one of his pictures against a wall and these were things where they would do the entire performance and the artwork itself would be discarded and the thing that was of value was the photograph the right, document right 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 oh yeah and so, that's that is especially relevant these days where documentation of the art is almost more important than sure. the art you know cuz the only way anyone's going to see the sculpture or the painting or what have you is on the internet you know so the way they document it is so important. Yeah, but, but I also think of, when I think of somebody trying to take on a city and describing a city, I always think of Eugene W. Smith trying to do Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and how it drove him crazy, basically, you know, and he couldn't do it. Because he, he wanted to capture the, the entire whole city. Yeah, the yeah. whole thing. Yeah, no, Klein doesn't try to do that. No. Klein, I think Klein is really clear that he's getting his own perspective. He, he's not capturing the whole. He's getting a snapshot. And... To my mind, it's, it's really personal. I mean, we kind of oh, learn yeah. who he is as much as we learn what's happening in Japan in 1964. Right. And he just did it in 64. I love that. I mean, I'm a big fan of trying to do something in, in one year. You know? I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I might I, be wrong. I, I, I think it is, it is like one or two years of photos. I mean, he just went on you know, a trip there and he, he shot his images. It was the last city book. So he had done Rome as well. Mm-hmm. He had done Moscow. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one being New York. But... Um, Oh. Did the, he do Paris? No, he didn't do no, Paris. No, he didn't no. do Paris. How did this book come into your collection? I saw it at a book fair somewhere and said, oh, it's Klein. It's <laughs> Klein, it's Tokyo. It's, the pictures are great. The printing is really nice. Yeah, that's something that I think we didn't talk about because, and for your audience. Th- these are gravure prints. I mean, they're really rich and inky and dense and... That you don't get when you look at something online in the internet, you right. know, or you, you kind of hear a podcast about it. They're, they're large format. They're right, really and the layout is really, is really interesting. Right. So what about document 1961 that I'm kind of sitting out, since we're, we're kind of running on a theme of specific years here, it seems. Now this one that's, I'm not, That's a recent, this is a recent purchase, a Recent purchase? Say. Yeah. Right, right now, the yen to dollar is really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's about 122 yeah. yen to the dollar right now. Uh-huh. So, You're buying so, a lot of photo books. So, no, a little bit of hole filling is it's happening. It's good for it's us. It's, it's good for bad us. bad for them. But, you know, these things, they go back and forth. So. Okay, so this is Hiroshima, right? Okay, so this is, this is uh, called uh, Hiroshima Nagasaki Document. Mm-hmm. And it's basically uh, a response to you know, the atomic bombs, and it's put out 
with uh, a, a separate booklet that talks about um, the actual effects to the people and the cities oh, wow. at the time. That so is the, it like a scientific? It's like a scientific document, or is it's it? It's like a, it's it's somewhat scientific. It's also you know personal uh, um, observations by people that oh, they okay. talk to, and it's put together by. Uh, a group it that was sponsored by the Japan Council against the against, A and H bombs. Right. Mm -hmm. So they basically went to Kendoman and uh, Shomei Tomatsu to do the photography. Oh, okay. And uh, got several writers to write pieces and then put together this separate booklet about, you know, the actual you know, effects of, of what happened to people and uh -huh. to the city when the bombs were dropped and talked about, uh, you know, the strength of, of the explosions. And, you know, if, if you read through it, it's very, it's very intense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this book I mean, they got all the charts and the graphs about, yeah, all this, the deaths and like... Yeah, yeah no, it's definitely yeah. kind of a, a, you know, a kind of social organization, a pseudo-governmental organization that right. put this out as a document of, you know, the post-war, you know, atomic bomb experience as perceived of in Japan to a Western audience because the text is in English. Mm -hmm. So it's, the audience is clearly towards the U.S. and, and Europe. Look but, what you guys did, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, but I think what's interesting about this book in particular is you have Doman and Tomatsu together in this book. And the book is divided into two parts. The first group of images are Doman, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Kendoman, which yeah. are very... Um, They're documentary. Documentary. Mm -hmm. uh, pictures of people that have been uh, injured or scarred and burned. Um, they're very strong and powerful. Right, right, it's right. printed, you know, very dark, contrasty gravure. So, I mean, you see that... Yeah, uh, it's like right there, you see that. We'll have to get these, some of these spreads up on the tumbler. Yeah. But it's really, I think, you know, it's a document of the tragedies that happened during World War II. And it's done with this very kind of objective documentary style that, you know, is kind of classic, you know, time-life photographer kind right, of style. Right. I mean, I, if I remember correctly, Ken Doman, was he part of Magnum? No. Not at all. No, I don't no. Think so. But he was clearly part of the kind of documentary tradition of photography. And then you have Tomatsu, who was part of the Bevo group in Japan. And he's a you know, he's a younger photographer, comes in, and his photos are completely subjective. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're taking images of like a twisted bottle that the heat completely deformed in the atomic bomb bombing rather than showing you know someone just coming from getting their scars stitched up he's showing the watch that actually stopped at 1102 the time of the bombing right, so right. that it's a much, much more, more subjective kind of much more abstract and yeah a lot of uh images without people right like so you have uh you know this destroyed uh looks like uh almost like tombstones that have been knocked over. Yeah, it's funny. You got to find find the gaps. What what you what don't you see? You know, and like that's always, you know, I like those photographers that are trying to figure out what what you're not seeing. You know? Well, but Here, this, what this I'm, book is good oh, for. So this is the this yeah. is the the famous oh, wow. yeah. shot of the the melted bottles. 
But I think the interesting thing about this book is it shows kind of that trajectory of Japanese photography from that documentary style, you know, during World War II and right after World War II, to where we get towards moving towards the provoke guys, uh -huh. moving towards what we think of as Japanese post-war photography now. This kind of much more image-based, much more psychological, much uh -huh. less directly reflecting, you know, an event, a one-to-one -one kind of thing. But photography where there's a lot left at the edges. Right. And a lot of big psychological, you know, social component that's not spelled out for you. Right, right. No, it's great. So I want to ask, what, um, what, do you, what would you say to people, kind of, what, what are you looking forward to in the next maybe couple years from Japanese photography and photo books? What, do you notice any trends or any, anything that kind of is catching your eye in terms of um, what students are doing, younger photographers are doing, or where, where are things going? Maybe it's not so easy to, to articulate these days, but I think people would be curious. I think, I mean, I think what's interesting is certainly with the historical um, Japanese photographers of the 60s and 70s, there were quite a few women who were active, but they weren't in the history that was written right. and documented of it. And now we're starting to see them getting recognition, like Miyaku Ishiuchi, who just got uh -huh. the Hasselblad Award this year. I think with the younger photographers, what we're seeing, you know, certainly in the mid-90s, we had the kind of girl photographers of Hero Mix, who mm -hmm. kind of came into the forefront and who were championed by Iraqi. But what we're starting to see now is a kind of generation of younger photographers by Daisuke Yokata, of course, uh -huh. and uh, Mayumi, Hasakura and Emiyan Rakaji, who are definitely mixing things up. They're showing in galleries and prints, uh -huh. and their work isn't just coming initially as photo books, but there's performance in what they're doing. There's a whole kind of cross-section, and... Um, so it's kind of it's the global trends in photo. I it mean, is it's global. It's, it, it is, is, is yeah. definitely, it's Japanese, but it's definitely global. They have a dialogue with their peers who are in New York or in Amsterdam or in Paris, and everyone's following one another's work more quickly. Right. And you know what? It's something that Dan told me, Dan Abbey again, told me it was something that's funny about in Japan. Having a website is like a second thought to a lot of them. They don't. Because I don't, they, they're so immersed with technology, or, or I don't know what it is, but having like a personal website where they put their stuff, it just doesn't, it doesn't. You make seem, a book first. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like a priority for them. And now he told me like a lot of them are like, how do we, how do we get in front of the Western audience? You got to be on the internet. You got to mm -hmm. kind of have your mm -hmm. website where people can find you. So right, especially I, because it's it's so hard to find the books or even yeah. to know about them. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think we're going to be seeing a lot of shows, particularly in the U.S. in the coming calendar year. And one of the things that's happening right now is in April 2015, I can say it publicly now, mm -hmm. there's going to be a big uh, symposium and festival on Japanese photography called Shashin Photography from Japan, uh -huh. which is being organized by the NYPL and the um, International Center of Photography for, oh, wow. for photography. I mean, it's basically being... Uh, organized under the umbrella of Ivan Vartanian from Japan. Uh -huh. And this will be a whole big um, symposium of two days with panels that are tied to the larger cultural calendar of Japanese exhibitions that are happening in museums in the U.S. in the 2015 and 2016 calendar. So, for example, 
um, Yasu Nakamura-san, who is from the UC Museum of Fine Arts, who's a curator there for photography, is doing a show on 60s and 70s avant-garde photography. Wow. And so he's organizing a panel around that. Um, Matthew Witzkowski at the Art Institute of Chicago is doing a show on protest photography. Of course, Japanese protest photography being a big part of that. So he's organizing a panel for the symposium on that. There will also be a show at the Boston Museum of Fine Arts on kind of rebuilding post-Fukushima. And so there'll be a panel about rebuilding that's being chaired by Jennifer Weisenfeld, who's a professor at Duke University. Um, and then there's a book on photo books and photo books as performance. So this symposium, which will be the 24th and 25th of April, uh -huh. will kind of be the, the central event, but kind of running off of it are gonna be all these satellite events of gallery exhibitions and you know, zine and music extravaganzas and various uh, Kawada, uh -huh. it looks like, is coming to New York, who did Chizu the map, because uh -huh. the New York Public yeah, Library yeah, yeah. is going to oh, pull yeah. out the map for the symposium. There'll be an oh, exhibition really? of it, wow. along with an earlier maquette that was the library owns as part of its collection. Oh, wow. So we're in for, in the next few weeks, or you know, a few months, a few I should months, say, yeah. a really big kind of push towards... American institutions and their commitment to Japanese photography. Wow, I think we're gonna have, we'll have to bring you back and we'll have to talk about all this after it. Yeah. This was awesome, thank you guys. Oh, well, thank you. Right? It was yeah. amazing. Sure. I saw some great books and I'm stoked. Well, I, learned, I learned something. <laughs> and we learned something too, Thanks. Now I gotta try to, we gotta all, we gotta try to absorb it. I've seen books I've never seen before. So. Well, that's awesome, thanks guys. Well, thanks. We appreciate your support and hope you continue to enjoy the show. If you have any questions, please feel free to send them to info at lpvshow.com or connect with us on Twitter at LPVshow. 